The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. We stand for the reading of God's Word from John chapter 4, verse 43 through 54. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that it was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he, believed, he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Please be seated. Thank you, Lauren, uh, and good morning again. Uh, we are glad that we're dropping mics this morning. Um, and we are glad you're here with us. As we study the book of John um, and go through different stories of who Jesus is and what other people say about him, but also what he says about himself as the Son of God. Uh, this week I was watching um, one of my favorite movies, Walk the Line. It's a biographical depiction of Johnny Cash's life. And there's a scene early on, just the first few moments of the movie. And young, young Johnny Cash is with his older brother, Jack. And he and his older brother, Jack, are at this sawmill because they grew up in rural, poor Arkansas. And and his brother, Jack, is cutting this wood at the sawmill. And they promised each other, let's go fishing after we cut this wood. And so finally, Jack says... It's going to be a while for me to finish. So you go ahead. You catch a fish. You go ahead. i got to make money. So young Johnny Cash goes, fishes alone. His brother never comes to meet him. And he's, he's on this dirt road walking home. After fishing alone, he sees this truck pull up. And it's his father with tears in his eyes and angst on his face. And he says, where have you been? Where have you been, boy? Put the pole down and get in the truck. And he says that. Because they go from that place to a hospital where they see his older brother Jack in in bloody uh, clothes, dying. A father who's desperate and hopeless says to his son, where have you been? Where have you been? Here in this story, in the book of John, in John 4, we see a father with a dying son also. Hopeless and desperate wearing the emotions uh, on his face. And at the end, we see it end with life. 
we see it in with life because we know something about Jesus and see something about Jesus, and it's this. We see that Jesus is someone who offers life. True life when there is true faith. It's a hard thing to swallow and a hard thing to wrestle with. So let's see and look at it this morning as we pray and study God's Word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we all have some type of relationship with faith. Something that is very hard. Something that confronts us often when we uh, have a lack thereof. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would show yourself as beautiful and captivating. But also, Lord, as believable in such a way that we know you're powerful. We know you're king. We know your words are good and true. Wherever we are this morning, we pray that you would speak to us. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we see three things in this story. First of which is the need of faith. There's a need for faith because this father is hopeless. We see in verse 43, After two days he departed, Jesus departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. So they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water, wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus had come back to Cana, this very place he had turned water into wine. And folks had seen him do this, and they welcomed him. They wanted to see another sign from this Jesus character. And there's also an official there, someone who lived in Capernaum. And he came from Capernaum to Cana. It's a 20-mile journey. He came because his son was sick. And he heard of this guy who had turned water into wine and done so many other things and was moving and shaking in the region. And he came because surely this guy could do something for him. Surely this Jesus character could do something for him. He came those long 20 miles, not because he believed Jesus was the Savior, but just because he needed something. He needed some sign, some wonder, some evidence that Jesus can actually do something for his need and for his hopelessness, for his dying son. We see this, this rise, this, this rising action of, of faith amidst a declining hopelessness in a desperate official. Right? This, this rising action of trying to grab onto something because surely what we see doesn't look that good. This man's son's dying, so he's trying everything he can. He's putting all his eggs in one basket. He's coming to Jesus and telling him, my son is going to die unless you come and you see him. There's a movie, uh, The Dark Knight. It's, it's about Batman. It came out a few years ago. And there's this, uh, this character played by Heath Ledger, and he's the Joker. He's a sadistic antagonist who just wants to watch the world burn wants to have power and see everything, every institution and every social norm come and fall by the wayside and burn. 
And he's captured towards the end of the movie. He's captured and he's detained in this police station. And he and this police officer are there in this room. And he asked this police officer, at my hands, by my actions, how many of your friends have I killed? How many of your friends' wives have I taken? And he tells him, six. You've killed six of my friends. And he says to him, in their last moments, people show you who they really are. So in a way, I know your friends better than you ever did. In their last moments, they showed me who they really are before they were uh, before they met death. So in a way, I am closer to your friends than you are. And here Jesus sees this desperate man who probably knows him better than any of his friends. Why? Because he's so close to death. His son is so close to death. He's desperate for anything. And here Jesus meets him and knows him. And it's funny how he meets him. So there's a struggle for faith. There's a need for faith because there's this hopelessness. And surely it's something that we all can relate to. A struggle for faith and need for faith. For some of us, uh, there is a striving faith. There's a, there's a faith that's alive and burning well in us. For others, there's a strained faith. For others, there's a withering faith. And for some, there's just no faith at all because it's just so hard to believe and hope in something that's so hopeless in the world we live in and the lives that we have. And we think sometimes there's a view that, well, surely if we just have uh, faith, if we just add some faith, sprinkle in some faith like an ingredient into a cake, it'll all be better. Or maybe there's a view of, if I just have their faith, like their superlative, like the talent they have, like, like some can sing and some can't. Surely if I had their faith, it would all be better. And the truth is that there's no certain Christian type. There's no one person that we can say, well, of course they have faith because fill in the blank. There's no such thing as a type, mold, or a cast for faith because faith is for everyone and for all. And that's so hard because sometimes we know it's for everyone and for all and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, there's nothing in there. There's no hope for me to believe in a hopeless world. We are hope-fueled creatures, though. If you ask any uh, young five-year-old about to turn six, he will say, I can't wait for my birthday party. A celebration, presents, gifts. If you ask any 15-year-old turning 16, what are you excited about? They're going to tell you their license, freedom, get behind the wheel. Uh, the first time I drove I, by myself, I, my mouth was sore because I was smiling so much. Right? We are hope-fueled creatures. If you ask any uh, regular, ordinary Joe, what's the greatest hope on a Wednesday? It's Friday at 5 p.m. We are hope-fueled creatures. We long to have something that's hopeful. And this man was nothing less than that. He longed for something that was hopeful amongst a hopeless situation because when we're on the track of hopelessness, when there's a bleak outlook, when there's low prospects, we'll grab onto anything we can to have some peace of mind. It's like the Ava brothers said, that the hardest part is believing that the very last word is love, that, that it's all going to work out in the end. That is the hardest part of believing. And so as this man is desperate, he, he goes to Jesus with that desperation. That hopelessness drives him to Jesus. His need for faith is 
drawn and driven by hopelessness. And then we see this, this need for faith, but also we see a nature of faith. There's the nature of faith. And it's that it exposes to grow. It exposes to grow because Jesus had come to, to Galilee into a small region of Cana, this place where he turned water into wine. And these Galileans welcomed him. Why? Because they wanted to see fireworks. They wanted to show, right? They had saw him turn water into wine. It was the greatest wine they ever had, and they partied all night at this wedding. So they knew this Jesus guy is coming back into town for round two. So we're going to see what he's going to do again. It's going to be really good. They had this strong want to have Jesus put on a show. And amongst all of this uh, crowd who wants to see a show, there's one man who has a need to have his son healed. He has a need to have his son healed. And he goes to him these 20 miles to Jesus and he says, come on, come with me. My son's about to die. Come with me and heal him. And Jesus responds to this man who actually truly needs him. Jesus responds to him in verse 48, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now it sounds like a harsh word. Like a rebuke. But what Jesus is doing, he's exposing what this man truly came for. He's using this as an instance to teach. Everyone here is, is here for a sign and for a wonder and for fireworks. And he's here for something so much more. And Jesus is reminding them, the, the primacy of what I'm about is not signs and wonders. It's about giving life. And he, and he does that by telling the man, no, I'm not going to come and heal your son. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. That's what he tells the man. Now, this man is powerful, and he's an official. He works for King Herod. And he doesn't pull rank, even though he's wealthy, affluent, and powerful. But what he does is he says to him again, Jesus, come down before my child dies. Which translates to, if you come, he will be healed. If, he's, if he and you are in the same presence of each other, it'll all be okay. Because in that day, he knew that, that if you want to have a sign and a wonder done, you bring the person who does the sign and the wonder there. And they do it in person. Like Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. If they're in person, it'll happen. So he's saying, Jesus, come down. And Jesus responds to him, the second, the second uh, ask. He says to him, go, your son will be healed. Your son will live. This man has asked twice for Jesus to come. Both times he says no, essentially. And he says here, go, your son will live. He doesn't have to go into per, in person to his son because he heals with a word. Jesus heals with a word. He gives life with a single word. In Genesis 1, when, uh, when there was nothing, if you translate Genesis 1 and see what it's actually like, what it is is before everything was created, it was a, a, a stormy void of chaos and disorder. And what God did was He spoke. He said a word. And He brought that disorder, that chaos, and He brought order and power. And took chaos, a place that was hostile to human life, and He brought life to it. And here, Jesus does nothing less than that. Speaking order into, in, by a word into existence. 
he heals with a word. And the turning point of this whole entire story is when this man is said about him, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. He hadn't seen what Jesus was going to do, but he heard and he believed. And this poor man actually is asking Jesus to do something, and Jesus is pushing him. He's pushing him from, from a rational assent, a firm rational belief, to actually true faith. This journey of, of rational belief, of understanding Jesus can do something, I'll go to him, to a point where he leaves empty-handed, still knowing Jesus can do something. Still knowing Jesus can work. So it's not rational belief, it's actually true faith. And it points out this. That life-giving faith grows beautiful and pure, where gold grows beautiful and pure in the fire. It's in that refining furnace. Life-giving faith grows beautiful and pure. Jesus is intentionally making this hard for this poor official. He is. Twice he says no to him. And finally, when he says, Jesus, come with me, he tells him, I'm not going to go with you. In fact, you need to leave. It's harsh. And Jesus is intentionally uh, pushing him because he knows, Jesus knows, for this man to truly believe in me, he has to actually leave me and go and walk those 20 miles home to a dying son. And he's going to have to reckon with the fact, I'm speaking life. I'm speaking healing. It's oftentimes in those moments where it seems like everything else, everyone else but Jesus is in control, that we learn he actually is. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And my father, before my diagnosis, during my diagnosis, and afterwards in my treatment, he would write these emails to friends. And he wrote these short emails, and as time went on, he wrote longer emails. And the tone of them changed. And it went from just simply facts to a confession. He used the medium of email to share his, his inner dialogue, his true emotions. And, and those emails that grew longer and longer attested to the fact that this, I'm a father. And towards the end of my life and end of my career and my life and my career, it's been pretty good and pretty easy. I've been a lawyer, and it's been uh, been a good time for me and a good, successful career. I have, a, I have a family of six, and they're wonderful children. I have a wonderful wife and a wonderful life, and yet my youngest son is sick. And I'm 67 years old, and I've come to know I'm going to do nothing for him. He was attesting to the fact that he was helpless, just like this, this official in the story. Because it's in the fire, it's in the, it's in the refining furnace, that life-giving faith grows pure and beautiful, just like gold does. The nature of faith is always to expose for growth. So where is the heat in your life that you know is refining, but it feels like charred? It feels like the heat is being turned up on you, and you can't take it anymore. The official had to walk 20 miles home. You surely know he felt the heat of that refinement there. The nature of faith is always to expose us to grow, for growth. And then finally, there's the result of faith. We see a result of faith is this idea of 
going from death to life. Death to life. In verse 51 it says, As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that he was, uh, that the hour was when Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he, was, when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This man walks these 20 miles, the longest journey of his life, been told a promise that his son will be healed, and he walks these 20 miles to find out he was. When was it? It was when Jesus spoke this healing. It's when Jesus spoke this healing, and we see that there is a, uh, an unchanging, non-negotiable result of true faith. This man believed Jesus' words and left. There's an unchanging, non-negotiable result of faith. And what is it? It's true life. It's true life. Because the purpose of the life and death of Jesus was to bring true life, both in our bodies and in our souls. And it's nothing less than that. To think that Jesus came to do anything less than heal your body and your soul is to have a small view of the cross. Many years ago, uh, hundreds of years ago, they were preparing um, in Germany, uh, they were preparing pastors and young people for the Christian life. And they wanted to prepare them and kind of uh, whittle down what, what is the Christian life actually like? And they wrote something called the Heidelberg Catechism. And the very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism to tell you what the Christian life is like, the very first question they asked was this, what is your only comfort in life and death? And they answered it, and they said this, my only comfort in life and death is that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In life and in death, in body and soul, I belong to Jesus. It's my only comfort. We see uh, faith and healing in this story. For many of us, we've really needed healing. We've needed healing for someone else. And so we pray to Jesus that he would heal them. And he does. And he does. He heals their bodies. And for, other, uh, for others and for other times, we have needed Jesus to heal someone. And we've had faith. And it doesn't happen. What do we do with that? When we feel death and decay, even when we have faith, if Jesus is about life, and if He's about uh, the, the life and the death of Jesus is about bringing life, what about when we pray and it doesn't happen? Heidelberg Catechism, question number one. I'm not my own, both in body and soul. Both belong in life and in death to my Savior, Jesus Christ. That when we feel and we experience healing in this life, it's a beautiful gift, like we see in this story. 
And if we don't experience it, and, and, we, and we pass from this life to the next, we experience life. Why? Because we belong body and soul and life and in death to Jesus. Because Jesus says something about us, not just when we live. He doesn't just bring healing now, but he always brings healing to come. He always comes to offer life. That's who Jesus is in life and in death. Whatever our experience may be. Where there is true faith, there is life. Whether in this life, in our bodies now, or or in the life to come, there's always life. We see here in this story, Jesus used the healing of a boy, a small boy, and the healing of his body to bring spiritual life to a family. We see life given by Jesus. And the beautiful thing is this. Know and hear this. That life-giving faith saves by its object, never by its quantity. This man came to Jesus. He didn't believe he was the Savior. He didn't believe he was the Messiah. He came to him because he wanted a sign and a wonder. And Jesus calls that out in him. And then this man still wrestles with him in the middle of the story. He says, well, just come on. Please come. If you're there, you can save him. You can heal him. And Jesus says, you need to go. Your son will be healed. Go. It says he believed the word that Jesus spoke and he left. And he found his son was healed. It's never ever about the quantity of faith, but rather about the object of faith. What's transforming is that this son of the official was not healed by the faith of his father. If it could have been, you know that, that, um, that he would have been healed. He would have tried to have as much faith as possible. You know that Johnny Cash's father would try to muster up as much faith as he could to save his son that was dying because of an accident at a sawmill. You know that my father would have done anything if he could have. That's just not how it works. Because Jesus says something about us. He says... It's not about the amount of faith you have. But it's about having faith in me. That we think to become a Christian, you have to have storehouses of faith, going, going from none to having so much, having all of it. And that's just not true. Why? Because it's so hard. And we think to become, if we are Christians, to be a good Christian, we have to have not just some, but all of this faith. And it's just not true. Why? Because it's so hard. Jesus here is telling us, you need to have faith in me. How much faith? He says in Matthew 17, to move a mountain, you need to have a mustard seed size of faith. It's all about who it's in, not about the amount. The objects of our faith, that's where living faith saves, not about the quantity of So what if you don't feel faith right now? Like many of us. Even myself. What if you don't feel faith? And what you need to know is this. If you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you are, have been decades following Jesus, if you have decades trying to follow Jesus, go to Him. This official walked 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana to see this Jesus character. Not because he had faith in him, 
but because he knew there was something about him. And he left changed. He left having his need met and his, his faith grown. He came to him and said, Come, if you come, the thing in my life that is dying will have life again. Where in your life do you need to go to Jesus and say, Come. And if you come, the things in my life that are dying will experience life. And maybe uh, you have true faith. Maybe you, you have faith. But life just hasn't really changed. It's actually pretty monotonous. It's actually this Christian life isn't as fun as you thought it would be. And one thing I would ask is this, just to think on is, whose terms are you meeting Jesus on? This man goes uh, to Jesus and he asks uh, him twice to come heal his son. And he gets two different answers, but they both are pretty much the same. Jesus says, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. And he leaves believing the word that Jesus said, I will heal him though with a word. Whose terms are you meeting Jesus on? And what is the voice that you hear him say when you come to him? He comes to give life. And that's what we see in this story that the official leaves. He goes home these 20 miles and he goes at the pace and at the terms of Jesus. And when he got home, he saw that his son was healed. And he saw this sign that his son was healed. And what did that bring? It brought life to his whole family. We have the advantage of seeing from our perspective in history. We know the sign and the symbol of the true love of God for us. It's the cross. It's that his father in the story goes home to find his son has been brought from death to life. And we see the son at the cross go from life to death for us in mind. That as Jesus told this man to go home, walk 20 miles, and you find your son is living, as he told him to go home, he knows your son will live. You will not lose your son because I know my father will lose his son. Why? For life. To bring life to all those who truly believe in this life or the next, that we belong body and soul and life and in death to Jesus. In the fire, in the furnace, in the refinement, Jesus says something to us and about us that he heals with a word. That he says it's finished. Nothing else needs to be done. Let's pray. Jesus, you say much about us. And we come and we ask much of you because we know that you're up to something. But also, Lord, some of us know that you're able. And as we fight for faith, a thing that's so very hard, remember, teach us. Teach us to grow, Lord, and expose this faith that we have and refine it in the fire. And teach us that it's truly having a sight on you, not having a storehouse of faith. 
And that faith truly does change us. How it brings us from life, from death into life. As we experience life, we experience things that you've done on the cross for us with our very name, our very situation, our very time in mind. Because Christ, you died for those in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Just like you died to heal the official son, you've died with us in mind. And you've risen, risen with us in mind. And you've come to bring us hope because you long to bring life to their space. So Lord, we pray this all in your name, Jesus. The one who heals with the word. Amen.